You can open your Bibles to Philippians 4, and in just a few minutes, I'll be reading from uh, uh, Philippians 4, verse 1 to 9. This morning, we'll be focusing on Philippians 4, 4. So if you notice, Philippians 4, 4 sounds a whole lot like Philippians 3, 1. So it's not just a feeling of deja vu, okay? This, this, this is a whole new passage. So don't, so don't be surprised, but I'm going to make sure to be building upon what we looked at in, in, in Philippians 3.1. I did not bring out the same message and just say, I've already preached this verse. I'm just going to preach it again exactly the same. We're going to be building upon it uh, uh, and reviewing just a little, but it'll be mostly new content. So don't be surprised. You're like, didn't, didn't we already hear this? So, I mean, because you did, but Paul knew that. Before we get into the word, there are times when we feel crushed by the weight of our circumstances. We have bills that pile up. We have health conditions that we are working hard to get under control. Most of all, those are things we try to lower, like our blood pressure or cholesterol or weight. We face conflict and tension, both in our immediate families, sometimes in our church families. If you are someone who reads the news, maybe you have felt increasingly um, just the weight of our culture. A world that is deceived and happily deceived, it seems, that there's a better way than God's way. We have the concern for the spiritual needs of our loved ones. There are those disappointments in life that seem to rise from the dead every time we finally think we've buried them. That's not even talking about the crushing weight of the mundane circumstances of life, right? Spilling your coffee, cracking the screen on your phone, missing meetings because you're running late or flubbing presentations at work, sick children, sick children and more sick children, cavities and root canals, one of those tough emotional things like being forgotten, being disrespected, being judged unfairly. Sometimes we feel crushed by these prolonged seasons of pressure. And I'm not just trying to lay it on thick so that you feel that, but I know that that's how some of you come feeling this morning. This morning we're going to begin a three-part series on how we are to respond when we feel ourselves in the vice grip of life circumstances. Like you, this morning, the believers in Philippi were carrying many weights. They, too, were opposed by their culture. Paul described them as as having opponents, and he just told them not to be alarmed by their opponents as they pushed forward with the gospel. They had the pressure of false teachers. They were struggling with a lack of unity. They had financial needs. 2 Corinthians 8, 2, and we'll look at this more in upcoming weeks, described how the Macedonian churches, which Philippi was a part of, how they had in the great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their, li- of their, li- of their liberality. That they had deep poverty, and yet they were generous churches. They had, on top of all that, concern for their pastor. Paul, their, 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 the, the man who planted their church, who was sitting in prison, waiting to see if he would be executed for a proclamation of the gospel. All these weights were what the Philippi church, the Philippian church, was bearing. 
plus. All of that in an ancient third world environment. Lacking all the modern inconveniences that we have, all the health care that we have, and the transportation that we have, and the indoor plumbing. But they still had children who got fevers. They still had spouses that squabbled. And people still ran late. Listen as I read from Philippians 4, 1 through 9, how Paul urges the Philippians to respond to their circumstances. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Here's this morning's text. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together this morning. Now, Father, there is a weightiness that I feel as we talk about joy. Lord, there are ways in which our heart is rejoicing. From the songs that we sang this morning, Lord, our hearts are full of the gospel, are full of your grace to us in Christ Jesus. And yet, Lord, I know that we come with diverse weeks. Um, Some of us had great weeks. Some of us had very hard weeks. Some of us have had easy seasons recently and maybe feel um, a newness, a freshness in our relationship with you and others of us are coming from long, hard seasons where, where you have felt more distant. So, Lord, as we do talk about rejoicing, and rejoicing has an emotional component to it, I pray, Father, for wisdom uh, in the words that I speak. I pray, Father, for open ears that we would hear. And I pray, Father, for responsive hearts that all of us would be committed to obey this command for our good and your glory. Please, Lord, give us wisdom as we learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Often, adverse circumstances signal the end of our joy, right? Bad news equals a bad day. Today, we're going to explore four aspects of rejoicing from Philippians 4.4, so that you will continue to rejoice when circumstances Threaten to crush you. Today we're going to look at four aspects of rejoicing so that you'll continue to rejoice when circumstances threaten to crush you. The first aspect is that rejoicing is commanded. We see that in 4.4. The same thing we saw in Philippians 3.1. Rejoicing is commanded. And this I'm going to do a quick review of Philippians 3.1. If you missed last time, you can go back and listen, but this will be enough uh, to, to, to move forward. This, the word simply rejoicing means to be in a state of happiness, to have well-being, to be glad, to be delighted. 
The command here is an active command. This means that this is something that you are responsible to do. It's not a passive command. It's not a command to be made happy, but a command to rejoice. It's a command in the present tense. It's an ongoing activity for you. It is a through-the-day activity. You're never going to find a time where you're like, not going to rejoice now. It's an all-the-time activity that you are responsible for. Last time when we were in Philippians 3.1, and we talked about rejoicing, we described it as this way. Rejoicing is giving our attention to something, approving of it, and responding appropriately in the pursuit of joy. So it's, it's, it's giving our attention, it's focusing on something, examining it, admitting, confessing. That is a good thing. And then responding appropriately. Rejoicing in it, being thankful for it, being humbled by it, delighting in it, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Really, that command, taste and see that the Lord is good, is really that process. Taste. Turn your attention. Take something that's true about God. Taste it. Approve it. Yes, this is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That is what rejoicing is. Sometimes rejoicing is immediate and instinctive. Like when we thank the Lord after seeing the jacarandas bloom. One of the great delights for Orange County for me has been the jacarandas. It's even fun to say. You know, the trees with the purple flowers. I've been waiting for them for weeks to bloom. And finally, they're just starting. And my heart rejoices. And it was instinctive. But I, but I did that. I, I, I looked I gave attention, I approved, and I rejoiced. It was instinctive. It was easy. But at other times, rejoicing takes a more deliberate act of the will. Like when you are late for an event, and as you go, you hit every single red light. And at some point, you're convinced that, that maybe the Lord is toying with me. Like I can't possibly get another. And your, your, your emotions just kind of are crashing. And to rejoice right then is actually hard work. You're trying to think of a Bible verse, and you're like, I can't think of any right now, I'm so fried. So, so you start singing a song that you know. This is my experience yesterday. It was hard work to turn my attention to the Lord, to, to, to approve of his goodness and his sovereignty. It shouldn't have been, it's just red lights. So sometimes rejoicing is, is instinctive and intentional. Sometimes it is more of a, a, a a active obedience that we have to invest ourselves in. But both of them are obedient rejoicing. Now, God commands us to rejoice because rejoicing is an act of our will. It is a matter of obedience. I think that's really important. It is something that we have to do. If it was just natural, he wouldn't need to command it. But we have to rejoice. Now, I know that it can seem confusing to be commanded to have an emotion. And emotions often seem like something that we don't have control over. It's like being commanded, like being commanded to make the sun rise or to have fruit grow on a barren tree. Like, I wish I could drum that up, but I can't. But there are many commands to have emotions in Scripture. And I think even looking at one of these helps us see that, 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 that this is a theme in Scripture. We are commanded to have emotions. Like, listen to what James 4, 9 says in response to our sin. Be miserable and mourn and weep. 
Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. And this is here a call to repentance. These are emotional words in James 4 9. Miserable and mourn and weep and laughter turn into mourning. Stop being happy. Have some gloom, James says, because of your sin. Well, what if we know we've sinned, but we don't feel the weight of that sin? See, the absence of that strong emotion, and James is using strong emotional language there. The absence of strong emotions doesn't negate our responsibility to mourn. We can't just say, but I don't feel like mourning. I know I've sinned, but I don't really feel like weeping. I'd rather laugh. Well, what do we do when we see these strong calls to emotion? Well, we, we need to confess our insensitivity about our sin, of like not being repentant here in James 4.9. We need to convince ourselves as much as we can by looking at God's word of the seriousness of that sin. We need to pursue mourning. We need to pray that God will give us a heart, a contrite heart, right? You just don't look at that and say, well, maybe mourning will come tomorrow. Maybe I'll, I'll be sad about my sin tomorrow. So I'm just using that as an example that I think all of us would agree. It's not enough to say, eh, I'm not, I don't really feel bad. We would look at that and say, well, of course I need to mourn. Lord, help me to mourn over my sin. So we shouldn't be a stranger to seeing commands to have emotions in Scripture. When you don't feel like you're rejoicing, like you ought to rejoice, don't despair. Like, and these are the small things like traffic lights. We know we go through devastating things in comparison. But even those small inconveniences, don't despair when your joy isn't what it ought to be. So here, think about this. While we are on this fallen earth, our rejoicing in the Lord is always on a continuum of, of emotion. Sometimes it might be the faintest whiff of joy as we think, blessed is the man whose sins are, are forgiven. You know, you might just have even the faintest response, I'm forgiven. You may not have a bursting out into song, but you have some, some appreciation, like, well, I am thankful for that. It's a whiff of joy, maybe. On the other hand, though, you might have one of those experiences where you do have that bursting into song joy. Right? Like, I can't contain this joy anymore. My heart is so full with the Lord, it's bursting. And, and our emotions and our experience of joy in this life is on that continuum. From the barely, I, I, I smell it a smidgen, to the huge, I'm going to explode joy, right? Now, if that's true in this earth, in these fallen, lowly bodies, as Paul talked about at the end of Philippians 3, Imagine how you feel, how you will feel in heaven when you see your Savior in your new body. When there is no more remnant of fallen flesh to fight, you will have eternal, unparalleled, unmitigated joy, right? right? It will be full joy. The whole range of our experience here on earth, the whole range from that faintest width to that best 
I just have listened to like 10 worship albums and I'm thrilled feeling, right? That whole range is like a Costco-sized sample of the joy we're going to have in heaven, right? It's just the taste. So don't despair when you don't feel the joy that you ought here. When your joy is at your fullest here, it's but a sample of what you're going to have in eternity. At the same time, be encouraged that you have even a little bit of joy. It's a work of God's grace in your heart when you think of the gospel. And you're like, I am, I'm, I'm still feeling like 99% cold right now. But 1%, I am thankful. That's God's grace in your heart. So we are commanded to rejoice because while we are in these lowly bodies, rejoicing is hard. Just as all obedience can be. Rejoicing is hard. In our, sometimes it's our spiritual sluggishness. Sometimes it's our physical exhaustion. And we know that while, we, and we forever will be, this, 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 this combined body and spirit. Right now we have fallen bodies, even if you have a, a new heart in Christ. Rejoicing can feel like, like turning over a boulder, a huge boulder, to see what's underneath, right? You've got this massive boulder, and you know that there's good gospel truth under there. But, but rejoicing can feel so hard, and you push against it. You're like, this is hard work to rejoice in the Lord. I wish it weren't. I wish I were free of this body of loneliness. But now it's work. It can feel like swimming against the waves to reach an island. You know that there's good news out there, and, and you're stretching out for it. See, our flesh, our old man apart from Christ, doesn't want to examine old truths. Old truths. When there are so many new delights on so many channels and so many websites, so many mountain paths and so many beaches, there's, 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 there's the new out there. Why would I work so hard for these old truths? That's why Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord, because it's hard work. Rejoicing in the Lord can be hard because it's an act of faith. Rejoicing in the Lord is an act of faith, just like all acts of obedience are. Rejoicing is an act of faith that the gospel is worth your attention. Rejoicing is an act of faith that your effort will end in reward, even if it's not automatically what you were hoping for. Rejoicing is like blowing on embers that once were flames. Once the fact that you were saved by Christ was, was a blaze in your soul. You thought you would be consumed with joy. But after time, the newness wore off and the fire waned. Rejoicing requires faith that the fuel of the gospel will reignite your soul. It's this act of faith. And even if you're, you're blowing on, you're thinking on gospel truths, and it doesn't just burst into flame right away. It's an act of faith that you keep going towards. I'm going to keep meditating on God's truth. Rejoicing the Lord can be hard because it is the sacrifice of your independence. And this is why it's commanded. Rejoicing in the Lord is commanded because it's hard. It's an act of faith. But it's also the sacrifice of your independence. See, when times are good, when times are easy, 
when spiritual blessings are easy and physical blessings are easy and there's sunshine and health and your family's doing wonderful and there's money in your bank account, when you feel happy, you know, just, just you're going through a season, it's just a happy season. You may not desire to turn your attention, to rejoice in the Lord because doing so is, is you admitting that you need him in your happiness. And our flesh, apart from Christ, will never want to need him. It will always cling to its independence. So rejoicing the Lord will be hard when things are wonderful. Because our flesh doesn't like to be in, our flesh doesn't like to be dependent. And rejoicing the Lord is saying, yes, I've got all these blessings, but I still need you, Christ. When times are hard, Rejoicing his heart as well. See, because apart from God working in our heart, our flesh still wants to stiff arm God. Like the Israelites in the wilderness uh, who, after grumbling, were, 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 were poisoned by the serpents as punishment. For those who refuse to look up at that bronze serpent, who are unwilling to direct their gaze at the Lord. That's how we can be sometimes. Like, this life is hard now, but I would rather be independent than submitted and looking up to Christ. See, meditating on the gospel, rejoicing the Lord, and we'll talk more about the focus in a minute, is admitting that we are dependent. See, our independence is not threatened when we pursue joy elsewhere. When you pursue your joy in that 1.75 quart, used to be, you know, a half gallon, but 1.75 quart of ice cream, right? When you pursue your joy in that moose track ice cream, it's really good, right? Your independence isn't threatened. When, when, when you go home and just say, I'm feeling really bad, I'm just going to watch some NBA playoffs, that doesn't threaten your independence, but rejoicing in the Lord is you saying, no matter if I'm feeling great or if I'm feeling horrible, I need the Lord Jesus. And that's why we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord, because our flesh doesn't want to do that. Re often rejoicing in the Lord is hard, not because of our circumstances, but because of our commitment to self-sufficiency. Rejoicing in the Lord is also hard, and it needs to be commanded because it requires us to turn away our attention from ourselves. It's commanded because we need to turn our attention away from ourselves. See, our, our, our flesh, the person in us apart from Christ, loves to be self-focused. And that includes focusing on how we feel. Gospel thoughts will never make our own our, our, our old man, our flesh, comfortable. When we rejoice in the Lord, our flesh knows that dying to itself is coming. Right? Because it is saying, I refuse to look at me, and instead I will look at you. And, and that saying no to focusing on my feelings, and yes to focusing on Jesus Christ, is hard work. And that's why Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. Our flesh wants to be the spotlight, to have spotlighted its attention on our feelings. It wants to direct the spotlight on itself. How am I feeling? I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling bad. 
what, what, I'm feeling great, whatever. It just wants to keep that tension on ourselves instead of to turn the spotlight of our attention onto Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. Because our eyes want to only see ourselves apart from Jesus Christ working in us. And that's why we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord twice. And we're going to see three times. Because it's hard. It's an act of faith. It's a sacrifice of our independence. It's turning away attention from ourselves. So rejoicing in the Lord is commanded. Rejoicing in the Lord is also focused. Rejoicing is focused. And this is the second aspect. Rejoicing is focused. And I've kind of pushed these around in which I wanted to focus on first. And you, you can see what it should be focused on. I've said it many times already. It's focused on the Lord. Rejoicing is focused on the Lord. Paul doesn't say, you know, I just want you to be happy wherever, however you find it. My concern is your happiness. Now, that's how the world defines love, right? The world defines love as the desire for others to be happy regardless of where or how they find it. Just, you know, the most important thing is that you be happy. So that's not true love, though, right? Paul loves his friends, the Philippians, by commanding them that their joy must be in the Lord. And must is there because it's a command. It must be in the Lord. In the Lord. What does it mean to have to rejoice in the Lord? It's shorthand. A quick way, and Paul uses it all, all the time here, for the person of Christ and the salvation blessings of those who believe in Christ. To rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in him and all the blessings that he brings. That, that, that everything that we are in him is to rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord is both the content of our joy and the context of our joy. It is us being in him. It is the spiritual reality that exists because of our faith in him. Rejoicing in the Lord is very similar in lots of ways to rejoicing in the gospel. Rejoicing in the Lord is very gospel-centered. It is pursuing joy by turning attention to the gospel, by approving of the gospel, by responding appropriately to the gospel. It is remembering all of those gospel truths. See, joy, and we see this in Galatians 5.22, is the fruit of God's Spirit, is the fruit of God's Spirit in you who walk by the Spirit, who live by the Spirit. In the context of Galatians, living by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is those who are living by faith in Jesus Christ who refuse to put any confidence in the flesh and put all their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Those are those who, who are walking in the Spirit, who are living by the Spirit, and those are those who have joy. And that's why he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in, in the good news of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in who you are in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 such a beautiful passage about who Christ is. This is what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, starting in verse 7 of Philippians 2. Of the one who, oh, it's verse 6, uh, who existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. 
Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what it means to rejoice in the Lord. It's to think about the humbling of Christ and to think about the exaltation of Christ. But it's also rejoicing in the benefits that Christ brings. In Philippians 3, 9 through 11, Paul practices some of this rejoicing in the Lord for us. How he talks about us, those who are found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Righteousness through faith in Christ. Or verse 10, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, looking towards that future glorification. This is what it means to rejoice in the Lord. It's to have our eyes focused on who Christ is and all of those blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. The focus of our joy must not be our circumstances, but our Savior. Not in our good luck, but in our gracious Lord. Not in our situation, but in our sovereign. Rejoicing in the Lord does not require ignoring those crushing circumstances. Rejoicing in the Lord is focusing instead on Christ when you are crushed by your circumstances. See, without Christ, if you do not have Jesus Christ, all you have is joy in circumstances. That's all the joy that you have is joy in circumstances. If those circumstances go horrible, you've got no joy left. But that is not true of those who are in Christ Jesus. If those who are in Christ Jesus, they have life. They know who Jesus is. They have all those blessings of righteousness and future glorification and ongoing sanctification. Do you have the joy of knowing Christ Jesus? Do you have the joy of being reconciled to God, of having been made right with him? That joy of the Spirit is for all of those who will walk by faith. Is that joy yours? Have you believed in Christ alone? Have you been made right with the Lord Jesus Christ? When you rejoice in the Lord, you are choosing to evaluate your circumstances through the truth of the gospel. Now, this does not mean the world would think that we're looking through some kind of rose-colored glasses. We're not looking through rose-colored glasses at our circumstances. We're looking through gospel lenses. We're looking through the lens of the gospel at all of our circumstances, and we see something greater. We see the Lord Jesus Christ as we look at all of those crushing weights. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord, is to have our focus on Him alone. Rejoicing in the Lord is commanded, Rejoicing in the Lord is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the third aspect. Rejoicing is essential. Rejoicing is essential. As I've already mentioned, Paul in Philippians 3.1 has already given this command, right? He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now a full chapter later. He says it again. And it's almost as if he expects the Philippians to say... Didn't you already say that? Because what does he do? Look at 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is not a mistake here. I'll say it a third time. So the third command in one letter, besides all the many mentions of joy, 
and all the talking about his own rejoicing. He's, he commands again, rejoice in the Lord. And why does he command this three times to rejoice in the Lord? It's because rejoicing is essential. Rejoicing is essential. Rejoicing is essential to your stability. Rejoicing is essential to your stability. The Philippians were in the quicksand of circumstances. We talked about this. It was hard being a Christian in Philippi. They didn't know what was going to happen to Paul. They had financial problems. They were opposed for the gospel. There was problems inside their church. And Paul knew that it was essential for their stability to rejoice in the Lord. And if you don't rejoice in Christ, you will look for joy apart from Christ. That's how humans work. We are joy seekers, right? If you don't rejoice in the Lord, you're going to be looking for joy elsewhere. Matthew 13, verses 20 to 22. I don't have time to go through Jesus' whole parable of the sower. Describes, as Jesus explains the parable, of those who don't rejoice in the Lord. In Matthew 13, verses 20 to 22. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. He had an initial joy in the gospel, but that person did not continue to rejoice in the Lord. When hard times came, they fell away. Listen to verse 22 of Matthew 13. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. That is the person who goes to other joys. The worries come, hard times come, and instead turns to the deceitfulness of wealth. It becomes unfruitful. He too falls away. Paul knew that they needed to rejoice in the Lord if they will be saved. Listen, no one will leave the Lord who continues to rejoice in the Lord. If you want to persevere until the end, rejoice in the Lord. But those who refuse to rejoice in the Lord, and this is a choice that we make many times every day as we go through many of those circumstances that just crush us. Sometimes we just have really bad days. And we say, am I going to rejoice in the Lord? Am I going to tear my attention off of this train wreck, that, that's my day, and I'm going to turn it to the Lord. Or sometimes it can be whole seasons of life that are much more devastating. And we still have to say, am I going to turn away from this catastrophe? Am I going to put my eyes on the Lord? Those, if you refuse to rejoice in the Lord, you are risking your stability. Whether your house is built on the rock or the sand, it will be evidenced by whether you obey this command to rejoice in the Lord. That will be the test of your faith. Hard times will come, but will you rejoice in the Lord? If you don't rejoice in the Lord today, what guarantee is that you will rejoice in the Lord tomorrow? Rejoice in the Lord today. Rejoice in the Lord is essential to our stability. It's also essential to our striving together for the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord is essential to our stability. It's also essential for our, our striving together for the gospel. Rejoicing and the Lord is fuel in the engines of our proclaiming the gospel. When we rejoice in the Lord, we remember that his crucifixion was for our redemption. We remember that his resurrection was for our justification. 
We remember that his ascension was for our intercession. We remember that his return was for our glorification. And these, these, these truths in us, it's kind of like shaking the two liter of pop, right? You shake it. What happens when you just open that up a little bit, right? What happens? It bursts out. And that's what gospel conversations will be like when your heart is filled with the Lord, when you are rejoicing the Lord. Just give me a little bit and I'll tell you all about it. But that's not true if we're not rejoicing in the Lord, right? We're, we're, we're kind of slow to say anything. And at the same time, sharing the gospel fuels our rejoicing. And I don't know about you. Whenever I get a chance to share the gospel, particularly with someone who's never heard it before, but even someone who has, like, I love this truth more than anything else in the universe, right? Except the Lord Jesus himself. It is like you are just blown away that, 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 that I believe this, that I, I've been changed. This person I'm talking to doesn't accept it, but, but this is my life. That joy is, is, is incredible. Even as you're sad, this person is, is, is rejecting it. You just are so humbled that you've been saved by it. So, so that rejoicing in the Lord is essential to our gospel progress, but it also will fuel more joy. Rejoicing in the Lord is also essential to your glorifying Christ. It's also essential to your glorifying Christ. Just, just think about that. Your joy in the Lord, the way that you will be, when you see Jesus Christ, it's going to glorify Christ for eternity, right? You're going to see him as he is. You're going to have so much joy and that nothing will ever temper it, right? Nothing will ever stifle it. It's going to be unfettered joy forever. That will be a spotlight on our Lord forever, that joy. Well, those around us need to see us rejoicing in Christ now. Our kids need to see us rejoicing in Christ now. Now, could you imagine Paul saying this if he weren't rejoicing? If he were just sitting in prison, kind of miserable, just fearful and anxious about his upcoming potential death? But that's not what we've read in this book, right? This, this, this is, we've seen this testimony of this man who rejoices in the Lord while, while sitting chained waiting to go up to crazy Nero. See, Paul wasn't some superhuman. Paul was united to Jesus Christ, just as you and I are. And Paul was able to glorify Christ by this testimony of joy. We need to have that testimony of joy in our lives for the glory of Christ and those around us. We, we have to repent. When our circumstances crush our joy, when disappointment obscures Christ in our affections, when a toothache or any number of problems we have eclipses the sacrifice of Christ in our hearts, when kinks in our plans, I hate kinks in my plans. I like everything my way. When those things happen, we need to repent when they overshadow the king of heaven in our affections. How are we portraying Christ around us? See, rejoicing in the Lord is essential to giving a clear picture of who he is. Rejoicing in the Lord is commanded. It's focused on the Lord. It's essential as we see because he commands it three times. 
Again, I say it, rejoice. And here's the fourth aspect. Rejoicing is constant. Rejoicing is constant. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always is an exhaustive word. Through every physical condition, through every financial situation, we rejoice in the Lord when we go through the hardest times. We rejoice in the Lord when we repent over our sin, when we repent of how, how despicable our sin is. We still rejoice in the Lord. When we see ourselves as our most sinful, we are to rejoice in the Lord. We are to rejoice in the Lord as our, our bodies suffer, as, as they continue to decay. We rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord through all of life's sadnesses. We never get a pass on rejoicing. We don't owe ourselves a break from rejoicing in the Lord as, as if suffering or disappointment deserved a rest from rejoicing. You know, it's been a really hard time. I'm just not going to rejoice in the Lord for a while. Now, obviously, rejoicing doesn't mean be giddy. Be slap happy. Act like you've had too much caffeine because you used to love the Lord so much. See, we can experience a range of emotions and still obey this command. Paul describes the Thessalonians how they received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul describes himself in 2 Corinthians 6.20 as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Colossians 1.24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. We can go through hard times and still be rejoicing in the Lord. I think sometimes we can think about this command to rejoice in the Lord, and it can start feeling like law rather than grace. But Paul didn't feel guilty telling the Philippians to rejoice. And as I see you in all of your life circumstances, and I know just a little bit, but I know some of what some of you are going through, I can't feel guilty telling you to rejoice in the Lord either, regardless of the circumstances. See, no one feels guilty telling a starving man to eat, right? Right? Because the food is good news for the starving man. If he has the capacity to eat. If you are in the Lord Jesus, you have the capacity to rejoice in the Lord through every circumstance, including those that you're going through this day. Again, Paul wasn't superhuman. He was in Christ. We have been unified with Christ. If you have true faith, you have the power to rejoice in the Lord. You have the resources to rejoice no matter what Christ decrees for your day. Think about this. Suffering doesn't extinguish your ability to rejoice in the Lord any more than it does your ability to obey any other command. Suffering doesn't extinguish your ability to rejoice in the Lord more than it does extinguish your ability to obey any other command. You can't say, you know, I'm not going to be faithful to my wife because I'm, I'm going through a hard time. You can't say, you know, I'm not going to read my Bible because I'm going through a hard time. You know, I'm not going to worship the only true God because I'm going through a hard time. This is a command. We can rejoice now in the circumstances you are going through. And remember, and again, this is where it's so important, what rejoicing is. Rejoicing is giving attention to the Lord Jesus Christ and all the blessings that he's given us, approving of them in the pursuit of joy, and then acting appropriately. It doesn't mean that you're going to feel great. It's about obedience. 
It's about rejoicing in him. In fact, and we have to talk about this, if we're commanded to rejoice always, what should we do when we still don't feel the joy that we once did? What do we do when we're going through those prolonged times of relative, it feels like joylessness? Now, I'd be hard-pressed to say that you don't have any joy in your life because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It'd be like saying you've got no self-control or no love. Uh, If you're saved, you have love, you have the ability to love, you have self-control, and you have joy. But remember I talked about it being a continuum while we are here on this earth. And it's at the far end. You know, on the scale of 1 to 100, it's it's like a 1 or 2 of joy. So what do we do when, when we are in that place for a prolonged period of time? Here, Paul commands us to rejoice always, but you're like, but my feelings aren't there. Now, there are lots of reasons why we may not feel joy. And one, and one caveat we always have to make is that we are in a fallen body. And there is this unique connection between our bodies and our emotions. Some of your lack of joy may be physical. It may be that you are sleep-deprived. And at the deep down, you're like, I know I love the Lord, but I have not slept in a very long time. Or maybe diet or health problems. You can always see a doctor to say, Doc, is there anything wrong with me? But the condition of our bodies is one of many God-ordained circumstances of our lives. And no matter your body's condition, you are more than just body. You're a body and soul. And that soul has been united with Christ. You are a new creature in Christ. We can't excuse sin because we have health problems. You can't say, I'm not going to obey because my body is not working as it should. You you, you can't say, I'm not going to be faithful to my wife because my body's not working as it should. I'm going to serve other gods because my body's not functioning as it should. And neither can you say, I'm not going to rejoice in the Lord because my body's not working as it should. We can't excuse sin because we have health problems and we can't stop rejoicing in the Lord. So what should you do when you're going through these prolonged periods where rejoicing in the Lord is really, really hard? Where you don't feel as what as you once did. That the joy is barely there. And one simple thing, and I think this goes without saying, is run from sin which may be sapping your joy. Run from sin which may be sapping your joy. Rejoicing in the Lord is incompatible with unrepentance. You can't both rejoice in the Savior and savor your sin. So repent and run from the sin you're cherishing or coddling or excusing and hiding. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Imagine if the Lord allowed you full joy while you're holding on to sin. He's a good God who doesn't let you do that. Now, I'm not saying if you are lacking joy, it's because of sin. I'm just saying if there is sin, run from it. In fact, the lack of joy may be God's discipline to bring attention to your sin. I don't know. It's at least worth examining. So run from sin. uh, uh, We also need to avoid cheap substitutes in our pursuit of joy. As we go through those hard times, avoid cheap substitutes in your pursuit of joy. Be wary of the many attempts that we make as we go through these seasons at finding joy outside of Christ. Don't try to ride the wave of what's next 
What's going to happen next weekend? What your next purchase is going to be? What's the next great meal you can have? The next concert you're going to go to? The next accomplishment you're going to have? The next home improvement project? When you're craving that experience and that pleasure, turn your attention instead to the Lord because we will seek joy. So when you're going through those hard times, don't, don't say, oh, this is hard. I'm going to go and, 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 and fill myself up with other joys. Instead, keep returning to the Lord. Keep rejoicing in the Lord. Also, as you're going through those prolonged seasons, be honest and humble as you talk to God. As you go through those prolonged seasons, talk to God about how you're feeling. The Psalms are such good examples of that. Ask God. Say, God, and you can keep asking him for the more joy, more full joy that has accompanied your rejoicing in the past. Our Father gives good gifts according to his will. That doesn't mean he's going to give you full joy right away. But you can go and ask him. He loves to hear from us. But also, as you talk to him, as you're humble before, and part of that humbly asking him is also the commitment to say, God, I'm going to keep obeying you even if joy is lacking. I don't care. I mean, no, we do care. We don't say we don't care. We say, but Lord, even if I never experienced the joy I had when I was first saved, even if it never reaches that mountain peak experience again, that the season that, 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 that I'll always remember, I am going to keep obeying you. See, don't let a lack of emotion justify disobedience. The answer to not feeling love for your spouse is to say, ah, I'm done loving my spouse. The answer to not feeling joy is to not rejoice in the Lord. We keep rejoicing in the Lord even if the feelings are lagging behind. We keep obeying and plead with the Lord in those prayers for joy, for his glory. And those prolonged seasons say, Lord, return me to the joy of my salvation for your glory. I, I, I do want to burst with this good news of the gospel. I want to tell people about it. I want my kids to see how good you are. This is a long, dry season. I'm, I'm giving testimony to you. But Lord, return me to that joy that's easier if it pleases you. See, come before I'm humble and submitted. As you rejoice in the Lord, as you go through these seasons, open God's word with a pen in your hand. I can't say that this was a lifesaver for me, but as I went through a very dark time, God's pen in my hand was such a blessing for me. Read a psalm. And, and, and I loved Psalm 27. It will, it, will, I don't, it will always be precious to me. You, you can find your own psalm, but just journal through them. You know, as you start writing, sometimes you'll, you'll have to make what's in, you know, it, it'll be in, in first person. I. And, and then just start writing. You might even just be copying the psalms. And then as you are writing, tell the Lord how you're feeling. But you, as you work through and, 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 and confess what is true, the same thing in a sense of reading the Psalms out loud. When I can't see straight, when all I can see is darkness, this is what I return to again and again. I, I get in the Psalms, and I just journal through them. It, that is rejoicing in, in the Lord. There's a, a book by, 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 by a biblical counselor named Bob Somerville. 
and says, if, uh, the, the title is, If I'm a Christian, Why, why, why Am I Depressed? And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. If, if, if I'm a Christian, Why Am I Depressed? I won't say I thoroughly enjoyed it. I needed it. Um, but he has this, this great exercise there. He encourages people, and, and one of the assignments he gives is to read a short portion from a gospel daily. And, of course, Mark is a great place to, to start, but, but really you could do any gospel. And there's just a few questions that he has people respond to. Who is Jesus? Right? So, so, so what does this say about Jesus? What does Jesus say and do? And I can email these questions to the church. How can he help me? And what can he do or be for me in my struggle? Who is Jesus? What does he say and do? How can he help me? What can he do or be for me in my struggle? When you're going through hard times rejoicing in the Lord, there's no sweeter place than to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be, be blessed portion after portion of God's word by, by how compassionate and how good of a Savior we have. Many saints um, will share that their lifelong struggle with depression and lack of joy has been about learning one thing again and again and again. Their need to cling to God's word. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 through 3, God explains, um, or, 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 or I think that this is Moses talking here, explains why Israel went through the wilderness wanderings and why they got manna each day from heaven. And I love these verses. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And so many times, our struggles with joy is really about God bringing us to that point. I need God's word daily. I need God's word daily. God is good to bring us through the wilderness so that we learn to live off of every word from his mouth. Jesus responded the same way after his 40 days in an actual wilderness, Matthew 4, 4. As Satan was tempting him, he says, But he answered and said, Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In his own wilderness experience, Jesus, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. As you go through those prolonged dry times, stay in God's word. Stay in God's word. Stay in the gospel. Look at Jesus Christ and journal through those psalms. Always humbly, submittedly, saying, Lord, I desire joy but I'm going to keep going to you because there's nowhere else to go. That is rejoicing in the Lord. That is obedience. Maybe this morning you feel crushed by your circumstances. Maybe those have been life-altering events of this past year. Maybe the disappointments of a lifetime. Or maybe they were fairly trivial. If you told everything you were crushed by, you'd be embarrassed. But I know that that's what happens in our day-to-day -day lives, right? Today, if you would glorify God, if you would endure stable, if you would stand firm and strive together for the gospel, if you would live worthy of the gospel of Christ, everything that Paul has been calling the Philippians to in this book, then rejoice in the Lord. 
those crushing circumstances are not the end of your joy. They are God-given prompts to rejoice in the Lord for your good and his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we come um, really humbled, Lord. You are wise, and this life in a fallen world is often hard. And I'm surrounded by those who, um, Lord, we've, we've received incredible blessings in this past year, but also incredible blows. Oh, Lord, we look no other place than to you. We thank you for your word, which exalts you and your character. We thank you, Father, for your word, which exalts your son, Jesus Christ. And uh, we confess, Lord, that we are willing to rejoice in you. We will keep humbly coming to rejoice. We'll keep turning our attention. We'll keep trying to focus on, on, on those truly hard things that happen or the light, trivial things like a string of red lights through the gospel, through gospel-colored lenses. We will not forget your son. And so, Father, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters here who are crushed by circumstances, that you uphold them, that you help them to obey, that they would be strengthened by their union with your son, that they'd be strengthened by their brothers and sisters, that they would continue to cling to, this, to, to, to your son, that they would rejoice in the Lord Jesus, that they would turn their attention to, to all of the blessings that we have in Christ. I pray, Father, you would help us to be adept and encouraging one another, Lord, that, 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 we would, that we would speak about Jesus, Lord, that even as we saw last week, that our, union, that our unity, our, our, our union is in the Lord Jesus, that we are to think the same thing, Lord, our harmony is in Christ. Lord, I pray, Father, that our joy together might be in Christ, that, that we might be good at building one another up. Father, we pray for, for those here, our, 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 our fellow humans who are outside of your family still, Lord, we know that there is no lasting joy in this world, that eternally there will be no joy at all in hell. Lord, we pray that you rescue them for the glory of your Son. God, exert grace of them, and Father, even, even through all of the imperfections uh, that, that in this morning, Lord, may Christ be displayed in all of his beauty, in all of his compassion, uh, that, that they would want the joy in Christ more than any joy in this world, that, that, that he would be that, 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 that treasure worth selling all for. I pray that for our children across the walls, Lord, that they would know the joy of loving your son. Oh, please, Father, may you receive much glory as we rejoice together in your son. In Jesus' name, amen.